Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. CinemaSins has a fan club. It's called The Sin Club, and members get all sorts of things like early episodes, bonus videos, merch discounts, and even monthly bonus podcasts. Membership starts at $3 a month, and you can sign up now at patreon.com slash cinemasins. Uh, I'm sorry, that is too much, too eloquent of an answer for this podcast. We're going to have to dumb that down. I think you're going to I think you have to back this up. Yeah, we're going to have to just do this over again. Just be like, I like writing. It's fun. <laughs> Welcome to Sincast, presented by CinemaSins. Welcome to the Sincast. This is Chris Atkinson from CinemaSins, joined by Jonathan Watkins. Hello, hello. And Barrett Share. Hi. And today we have a very special guest. It is screenwriter Emma Nidell, who has uh, a movie uh, directed by David Oyelowo uh, coming out May 7th in theaters. It's called The Waterman. Emma, uh, welcome to the show. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. I am a fan of cinemasins and this is very exciting yeah yeah i know you lied to us earlier and you're lying to us now i want it on record (laughs) (laughs) um uh i'll I'll start off with a very basic thing tell us what the waterman is about and what was your inspiration for this story yeah so uh why i want to i'm a writer so i can't help but tell a little bit of a story Okay. So I wrote the script when I moved out to LA. Uh, it was like three years after I'd moved and it was a pretty rough transition. Um, I was mm. a broke college grad and I didn't know a soul. I had no connections whatsoever. And uh, writing became a way for me to feel empowered creatively. But I knew I needed some help in writing it because I'd written five really bad screenplays at that point and uh, couldn't <laughs> crack the code. And so uh, I started taking evening classes at UCLA Extension, um, where I learned how to write. Mm -hmm. And uh, I want to give some credit to the teacher who taught that class, Steve Mazur, who wrote Liar Liar. um, Oh, nice. One of my favorite movies. Yeah, it's such a good movie. Mm -hmm. And he taught me the core principle of feature screenwriting that I still use and will use forever. Um, And it's this idea of the premise. And the premise is the North Star, uh, the thematic argument that you're making through narrative. And for me, and what I was sort of dealing with also at that time, were kind of big fundamental questions of purpose and life and death, you know, um, pretty heady things. And writing The Waterman was an opportunity for me to kind of put these feelings, these really complex feelings that I was having into something cathartic. And so the premise for Waterman is hope is the strongest form of bravery. And Mm. that North Star guided me through the entire development process. Okay. Wow. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. That is too much, too eloquent of an answer for this podcast. We're going to have to dumb that down. I think you're going to, I think you have to back this up. Yeah. We're going to have to just do this over again. Just be like, I like writing. (laughs) Yeah. Um, you 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 wrote you submitted this to a forum called the blacklist right yeah so um the blacklist at that time was both a um a, a list that is sent out annually of the top unproduced original screenplays that are being circulated around hollywood but i really knew it and that's kind of an exclusive list right where like executives mm-hmm. have the power to vote scripts in or not uh, but for me is again someone kind of working on the fringe, um, the blacklist also is a serving website where you can upload your scripts and get uh, professional coverage Mm -hmm. uh, from industry executives. And um, if you do that, 
develop a thick skin because they don't <laughs> yeah. care about you or your ego. But Which so is I was good, uploading. I think. <laughs> it is, honestly. I think you have to be ready to put yourself out there and, and face criticism. Um, you know, every screenplay is a bit of its own language. And so you're kind of learning how to talk and how to communicate. Um, so that's how I first encountered the blacklist. And mm -hmm. then it was voted by other executives um, onto the list, um, which sort of shot it up into um, in, into some success. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, at some point here, Oprah gets involved. Uh, how, does, how, how does that, that did, did I skip a few steps? No, was, straight to Oprah. How does Oprah get involved in all this? Oh my gosh. Uh, Oprah, the goddess. So mm -hmm. I was an assistant slash nanny um, in Hollywood. And uh, the, I had gotten a manager. Uh, I submitted Waterman to the Nichols Fellowship and it was in the top 100 screenplays. And that got me a manager. And my manager started sending it around to various executives and around town while I was still an assistant slash nanny. And uh, I was on the way to pick up my boss's kids from work when mm -hmm. I get a call that's, you know, David Oyelowo and Oprah Winfrey read your script and want to meet. I oh. feel like I almost crashed the car. So oh, my like, God. <laughs> what? Oh, my God. Oprah knows I exist. They should have asked if you were driving before they told you that. Yeah, first sit down, get ready for this information. Um, but yeah, so I met I met with uh, David Oyelowo and Harpo's executive, Carla Gardini. And mm -hmm. I also just kind of want to set the stage here a little bit. Um, at that point, I had met with a, a lot of people, um, mostly on general meetings, but a few with offers on the table. One was an independent financier who was offering to buy the script outright, but that would mean I would lose uh, the rights to the script. Mm. Uh, and I had also had an offer from a big studio with a director attached. Uh, but for me, when I finally was in a power or in a position to choose, mm -hmm. I really wanted to define what success looked like. Does success mean a, a paycheck? Does success mean the prestige of a studio and a director? What is it? And mm -hmm. for me, how, you know, this being a very kind of personal, emotional story that I that I worked on, that I believed in, success I defined as finding a collaborator who understood the premise and who was passionate about it. And then I go in to meet with David Oyelowo and Carla Gardini from Harpo, and immediately. David was so effusive with his passion and not only understood this idea of, of the power and strength of hope, but knew it better than I did. And we had this really hmm. wonderful philosophical conversation about the power and meaning of hope where I learned a lot. And after that meeting, it was, it was sort of, for me, a no brainer that I wanted to go with David. And mm -hmm. even though there was no money, on the table and we didn't have a studio yet. I just felt instinctually that he was the right partner to bring this to life. Yeah. And I mean, and he is, this is his feature debut, um, in, in his own right. Uh, mm -hmm. I believe, um, it is. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I, I like the idea that, uh, you went with, I mean, what I would argue is integrity uh, over mm -hmm. over the uh, over the money part because I'm 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 guessing with that other situation they may have wanted to make a whole bunch of changes and yes. uh, try to make the bridge bridge to Terabithia or something like that out of it <laughs> and, <laughs> and uh, you know that that would have been you know that would have been their movie but um, uh, you gave us the eloquent answer that's going to blow away all of your uh, your other answers in this thing but what, what <laughs> give us give us give us the plot synopsis of this movie yeah so the story follows gunner boone who is a young boy with a vivid imagination him and his mm -hmm. family moved to a small town in oregon where as an african-american family in a predominantly white area they feel um, a little at ease ill at ease um, especially mm -hmm. amos the father uh, gunner then discovers that his mother has cancer and as he's been getting to know the town, he's hearing stories of the legend of the Waterman, who has his legend and his story is very much tied to the history of the town as this, you know, former mining town. 
And the main thing he learns about the Waterman is that, that he found something in deep in the mines that allowed him to live forever. And so Gunner sets out with the one girl who claims to have met the Waterman to find a way to save his mom. Yeah, there you go. That's way better than I could have done it. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, but, you know, I was looking at, you know, the act, the actors in this uh, movie must have been amazing for you to, I wonder, I'm, I'm kind of wondering what you, what you felt as you, as you uh, learned about who was going to be in this. I mean, I'm going to talk about, you know, first off, you know, you've got David Oyelowo, you've got Rosario Dawson, you've got Maria Bello, you've got uh, Alfred Molina, but you know, it's the kids that mm-hmm. who, who have to be really good in this yeah. and Lonnie Chavis and Amaya Miller are amazing in this. <laughs> so uh, uh, tell me, tell me what it was like uh, when you, when you heard about what was, who was getting cast in this. Yeah. So I, I kind of want to step back for a moment and, and talk about the philosophy of screenwriting and it relates to your question, but it's something mm-hmm. I, I think I read in books in screenwriting books before, but I didn't really understand how fundamental this is to the craft of screenwriting. And that's as a screenwriter, your main job is to write something that inspires other artists, mm-hmm. that inspires the actors to want to embody these characters, that inspires the cinematographer, the production designer, the editor, the composer. I mean, that's what you want to do. You want to write something that other artists are excited to bring their own artistry to the table. Hmm. And it started with David. Uh, David actually originally was just supposed to uh, star and produce The Waterman. Mm-hmm. And we had this other director who unfortunately, but also it all worked out, had to step off the project. And it was right before uh, we were set to film. And uh, David and I actually had the conversation together where it's like, you know, you've always had the vision for this. Uh, you should you should step into the role. And he said yes. And then after he was involved, that's when casting really took off. Mm-hmm. And for him, I mean, finding Gunner was the most important thing. And they had auditioned a number of young men, you have young actors. And the moment that made all of us, I think, realize Lonnie is the right choice is that scene in the audition, you know, it's just him in a room reading to camera, performing to camera. And it's the the moment when he finds out that Mary has cancer, you know, he sees her mm-hmm. without her wig and just, you know, <laughs> the bare bones audition room with a single camera, you know, crappy lighting and Lonnie reciting these words. I mean, it was so evocative. We all started tearing up. Mm-hmm. And it was like, whoa, this kid can transport you. He's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And then this is such a great story. So then finding Amaya. So mm-hmm. the character of Joe was originally written as um, as a boy. And it was mm-hmm. David's idea to turn Joe into a girl. And so we're in we're auditioning these girls. Um, and you know, the 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 scene that they that that they focus on is the kind of fight that they have. Um, mm-hmm. where Joe's trying to get Gunner to eat the candy. Yeah. And um, Amaya, who's studying like some sort of martial art at the time, she oh, really? just takes Lonnie down and like tackles oh, him to the ground. <laughs> and we're all like, this girl is fucking... Oh, sorry. I don't know. No, no. Um, say it. Oh, <laughs> say it. <laughs> okay. This kid, this girl's fucking awesome. What a badass. Mm-hmm. And she was cast immediately. <laughs> Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. All you have it's to do amazing. in your audition is kick somebody's ass. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Look, go. as a girl, I'm a lady power all the way. I was. We were all blown away. And then um, for the other characters, I mean, it was really David um, bringing together. You know, him and Alfred Molina. And Alfred is just so incredible. I, I kind of just want the spinoff film of his character. Yeah, no doubt. But he he and David have been friends for so long. Um, Maria Bello, he randomly ran into her at Sundance and she was like, oh, I'm such a fan. What are you working on? Um, Mm. And then the mother character, um, Rosario Dawson, you know, as you can, I I feel like just imagine has such a warmth and she brought that so much to the character and really flushed Mary out in the most wonderful way. But it was really, I'm giving all credit to David and the team he assembled 
and he really, his, again, having his driving force be passion, what that meant was he created a safe space for actors and the other artists on the, on the crew to come together and bring their best work. It was a safe place to experiment uh, mm -hmm. and to fail and to try. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Um, I, you may have touched a little bit on this, but I was wondering if you had sort of a process when you're writing, uh, is there, a, do you like to, you know, do you have a, you know, a certain room you like to be in? Do you like to travel? <laughs> do you like to have a certain, like you have a classical music plan? Just tell us what your process is. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my fiance, random aside, has recently discovered this YouTube playlist called, um, music that sounds like a villain. Or oh. like a, how a villain is plotting, and he's been listening to that a lot. So I nice. like, can't help but think of that. Um, but no, I think I'll, uh, I definitely have a process. Um, and I, I'll give credit. I feel like I find mentors everywhere. But I read Stephen King's On Writing, and I'm mm -hmm. a huge Stephen mm -hmm. King fan. Um, and he's so brilliant as a writer, but honestly, the, his book On Writing is some of his most brilliant work. Um, and, and he, what he, what he said to do is exactly what I do. Um, wake up early, have your goals for the day. Um, you know, 10 pages, five pages, rewriting act one, like whatever it is, and don't stop until you finish. But nice. when you finish, maybe you're really inspired and you're in the zone and, you know, flow state and everything's working and you finish at 2 PM. Great. Other days it's a slog and you finish at seven, but stick to your daily goal. And so that's what I do. I, I break it out every week. Okay, what do I want to have accomplished at the end of the week? And then I backwards plan every day. And some days I'm in the zone and other days it is a hard writing day, but I stick yeah. to my goals. What did you have uh, in, in particular during uh, the Waterman? Did, did you, what was the hardest part about writing this, uh, this script for you? The hardest part, oh, that is a good question. Um, I think the biggest, the, the mo it's so funny, the emotional beats of, mm -hmm. especially that involved Gunner and his father, those yeah. were the first things I had figured out um, that Gunner's kind of, you know, to be very um, kind of granular about screenwriting craft, the kind of um, break into act two where Gunner goes off to find the Waterman it always came about motivationally after a fight with his father. So mm -hmm. I knew from the beginning, mm -hmm. okay, like I know why Gunner's going out into the woods. It's because, uh, you know, he doesn't trust that him and his father alone will be okay. So that, that the bones of structure were there. The hardest part in development was absolutely coming up with the legend of the water man and yeah. required, you know, anytime you're building a myth or a legend or, or magical realism, um, it, it's hard stuff I've learned. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it sounds like it. Yeah, it's hard stuff. Uh, but there were a few things that definitely inspired it. And to kind of tell a, a quick story of where it really came from, I definitely wanted it to be tied to nature. And mm -hmm. um, so I grew up on a cattle ranch in rural Colorado. And so nature has always been a part of, of who I am. It's where I, I derive a lot of inspiration. And as a kid, I would go out into the woods with my younger brother and we'd come up with, you know, fantasy worlds and mythologies. Um, that's what we did for fun. Mm -hmm. So nature has always been a source of inspiration. So I knew whoever this figure that Gunner is trying to find, I knew I wanted it to be tied to nature. And yeah. so when I was 18, I, uh, had a friend of a friend and, you know, grew up in Colorado in, in a mountain town near a mountain town. And a friend of a friend had a, uh, a few years back, had a few, had a near death experience as a river guide. 
a river rafting guide mm -hmm. and he fell off his raft and was held underwater by the current and drowned technically and was resuscitated by CPR. And he told me there was a moment when he was held underwater that he realized he, or he feared he was going to die, but instead of feeling pain and panic, he was suddenly filled with a sense of euphoria and peace. And mm. it totally radicalized and changed how he thinks about life and death. Mm. And he told me that when I was 18 and my grandparents had just passed away and it was really tough on, especially my father. Mm -hmm. There were a lot of kind of big conversations happening in our family of, okay, what is life? What is death? And it was something I was kind of grappling with. And so when I was working on the Waterman, and I thought back to that story and thought back to this guy who in sort of the most hopeless situation still found peace and euphoria. And that was, it's still saying it is, is kind of a crazy concept. And it's something I wanted to explore as an artist. What does that mean to find hope? even in, you know, in a time where it feels so hopeless. Yeah. Um, um, is it, was there anything I'm, I'm not trying to get you to throw people under the bus or anything, but is there anything that, uh, that got cut from your script that you're, that you really like? <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, I'm going to tell two stories about that. Great. Um, <laughs> so the first one, um, we had so and both are from both are the same problem um i wrote a script that is was expensive i think for a <laughs> long time you know because i i wrote it seven and a half years ago and david mm -hmm. got on board um six years ago and you know something we kept hearing time and again was great story love it impossible to make so expensive <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, you know, fair enough. Um, and there were two in particular extremely expensive scenes. One was an ending that where Gunner was like basically kind of, if you remember Life of Pi, which it was such a mm -hmm. kind of yeah, visual yeah. inspiration. Oh, yeah. Oh, I mean, a visual feast. I love that movie. <laughs> um, there's a scene where Pi is underwater looking at the ship crashing. And I just thought that image was so beautiful. And you know, 24-year-old yeah. Emma did not realize how expensive that was. And so I had this, you know, beautiful scene where Gunner makes this choice between, um, you know, oh, the waterman is, is real and gives him the talisman to save his mom. And there's this big choice that takes place underwater. This, I think very, you know, I'm biased, I wrote it, but I think a really <laughs> evocative and cinematic scene. Yeah. And our line producer was basically like, yeah, this is the whole budget. There's no way we can film that. <laughs> you mean, you, mean you couldn't just call Oprah and ask for more money? <laughs> oh, we tried. You get it underwater yeah. soon. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, exactly. Oh, my God. So is it, so, is it shooting underwater? Is, I mean, what, what is it about it that? It, it was basically like, for, and, for, and also the ending all took place at night. And the mm -hmm. line producer was also like, yeah, these are, you know, these are child actors. Mm -hmm. um, that means you have four hours of darkness you can film a day. Mm, yeah, and so we yeah. had to change it from darkness to, to day um, and come up with a new ending. So I think, you know, I still will always have a place in my heart for the original ending. Um, but I think, you know, and, and credit to David, we worked very closely on the revisions. Another big scene that um, almost was had to be cut was the the expl explanation of the Waterman and his mythology that Alfred yeah. Molina talks about. So that was originally a flashback, and you know a whole mining town and all these extras mm -hmm. and a flood. Oh, sure. Right, and the line producer was mm. again like absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so we were like, got it, okay. And it was David's idea. He was like. You know, in in the script, Gunner was always writing a graphic novel, and he was like, "Oh, what if, you know, we really kind of uh, lean on the theme of imagination here, mm. and bring, uh, put this amazing animation sequence in that's the same art style as his graphic novel, 
oh, mm -hmm. brilliant. And yeah. now the animation is my favorite part of the film. So <laughs> and I learned not cool. to write yeah. any underwater scenes at night involving children. Live so and I've, learn. I've learned a lot. It's those practicalities that nobody ever thinks about uh, with, <laughs> with, with film. No, honestly, like, you know, you only get this much time with child actors at night. You only have this mm -hmm. many hours in a day. But it also sounds like, uh, you know, we're complete outsiders, but is is a screenwriter usually as involved as as you were with this project or was it just because this was kind of your baby and you and david shared this kind of common passion i love that question uh, i love it too yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great question um i think often a screenwriter is not involved um okay and I, I, this is credit to david um, as a collaborator, he, uh, at that first meeting said, you know, I promise to get this, to do everything in my power to get this film made. And I promise you'll be involved every step of the way. Hmm. And, hmm. you know, talk is cheap, but David, uh, absolutely fulfilled his promise on that and kept me involved from the beginning. And I think because he had trust in me, uh, I definitely had trust in him. And that's one of the reasons I think why he want, I mean, for many reasons he wanted to direct this, but, um, after we had our, our director step away, uh, and we talked about him directing, I think he knew that I had complete trust in him. Well, and I said, you know, I have complete trust in you. Um, but I also, you know, showed up on set ready to rewrite anything in service of his vision and with a director who, again, creates a space on set for other artists to shine. I really do think you get people's best work. Um, mm -hmm. And he's the director, of course, like I, I absolutely respect his vision and his creative authority there. And I trust it more than anything, trust it more than my own because he understands it from a high level view, but he was, he did a really good job of bringing other people and their expertise in and admitting this is huge. He admitted when he didn't know something and when he mm -hmm. needed help. I think mm -hmm. directors, especially first time directors, um, you really want to seem like you know everything, right? You finally are oh, in the yeah. director's chair and you need to have all the answers and everyone's looking at you. And David did a really good job of um, admitting when he wasn't sure or he wanted another opinion um, and, and would land on a decision not out of fear or out of insecurity, but truly because he understood the decision and its ramifications. Hmm. I think uh, sort of an extension to what Barrett was asking there. And one of the things that I had learned in college when taking video production classes and things like that is the the writer is often not allowed on set so that the so that everybody can get away from all the screaming that would happen if the writer was allowed <laughs> on set. Um, um, I mean. So true. <laughs> I remember yeah, reading, William, I think William Goldman said something like, and you often, you don't even want to be on set. Like, you know, you'd rather be off writing or anything else than having to sit there on set and watch them, you know, take forever to make a shot or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, that's so true. Um, yeah, you definitely have to be, uh, I think as a writer, you know, you, you spend all this time crafting these beautiful words and then to like, <laughs> see the actors struggle with it. You have to um, have a thick enough skin and enough confidence in your story and in your director and other artists involved to be able to, you know, tear off, you know, cross off the whole page and throw it away and come up with something new. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think uh, I, I also sought some advice before I was on set. And I, I saw advice from, from a mentor of mine who's a screenwriter and director and he said, you know, the best thing you can do on set is to beat the page. Whatever mm. you wrote is good. Sure, it, it got a lot of people involved and you have a lot of money being spent on it. Like, that's a huge accomplishment. But when you're on set, beat the page, make it even better. And so mm -hmm. I, I really feel like I tried to go in with that mentality um, of just like, yeah, we can make it better. Right? The words are cool. I'm really proud of them. But now with all these other kind of cooks in the kitchen, bringing their own you know, flavor to it, 
Mm-hmm. Um, let's beat it. Let's make it even better. Beat the page. I like that, that a good? lot. I do too. Yeah. Yeah. Jeez. Okay. I got to credit the mentor who said it because he deserves it. He's brilliant. Um, Billy Ray, the screenwriter, Billy Ray. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Billy Ray. Yeah. Uh, uh, he's shattered glass, best. right? Oh, shattered glass. Yeah. yeah. He, um, <laughs> just really intense, but beautifully shot and written, um, political dramas. Yeah. He's incredible, but he, mm-hmm. it was his advice that was beat the page. And I think every screenwriter and director and everyone, um, that's some of the best advice I've ever heard when it comes to actual production. So you are nice. long past the days where you didn't know a soul in Hollywood. You know, everybody, <laughs> now. you know, all the good people. I mean, is Spielberg really what they say? He is. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, well, I actually, I worked on a TV show in a writer's room for um, Amazing Stories, this Spielberg reboot. Um, oh, wow. I know, which was, I, I'm, you know, film lover, film geek, Spielberg, Spielberg fangirl, and he did cut my uh, episode. So. Oh, no. So, oh, come so- on, Steve. Still ladder to climb. Oh, yeah. So, so Barrett wasn't kidding at all. I throw a name out like, oh, yeah, let's go to Spielberg immediately. And, yep, apparently you have a connection to that. That's my one. I got one connection, and it's Mm -hmm. a a vague third degree connection to Spielberg. You've got Oprah and Steven Spielberg. So, I think you've covered all of the ground. Doing fine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, Would you mind talking about Desert Noir? Oh, wow. Yeah, um, for sure. I So uh, the original goal has always been to be a director. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, maybe I mentioned this already, but coming to L.A. as a um, broke college grad and who didn't know anyone, it's really hard to direct, right, um, when you mm-hmm. don't have funding or friends. Uh, but finally, I, you know, I, I started working on Desert Noir, and it, it definitely kind of came from this feeling I had when I moved to LA um, and I, I got a job as a production assistant and um, you know, I was on the, you guys are, I it sound, I think I, from all the, you know, I've listened to a lot of Simmons since cinema since stuff, but um, I'm a huge film lover as well. And where I was a production assistant was where they shot the player, you know, that famous oh. opening oh, shot. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, mm-hmm. you know, I was this PA for a TV show and, um, it, it, you know, a comedy central, it was actually the burn with Jeff Ross. So, you know, very different than the player, but it was still so magical to be on set and to like have a feeling of Hollywood that was both, I was in it, I was there, but it was also so far away and ethereal. Mm-hmm. And how do I tap in? I'm here physically, but I, I still feel, you know, a continent apart. And, yeah. um, Desert Noir really came from that, this feeling of of loving Hollywood and having it feel so close, but also having it be both larger than life and um, uh, distancing. Yeah, I, uh, I, I I specifically enjoyed the very opening of it where the guy is mm-hmm. uh, talking about uh, <laughs> Quentin Tarantino ran, it was uh, working at a video store and that guy's a director. So if I work at a video store, I can be a director. <laughs> right. like Not, yeah. And the bartender's like, what about Cloverfield? He's like, Cloverfield? Ah, fuck you, you know? Yeah. <laughs> oh my God. I feel like that was pulled straight from some of like my, you know, after drink, after work drinks with other PAs we're just like talking about you know our hopes and dreams and why we came out here and of course there's always like the film snob um I maybe was that yeah (laughs) Uh, like no but this is art although I love Cloverfield as an aside but Uh, yeah yeah, totally um I'm sorry no go ahead John well I was gonna say since you mentioned the burn I'm really curious what is Jeff Ross like Oh my God. Thank you for asking that. He is the sweetest human being alive. Nice. Wow. Um, He's so funny. I mean, I love all the Comedy Central roasts. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And he knew everybody's name, you know, as a production assistant, you know, my job was like restocking the fridge and like um, uh, picking up people's lunches and organizing the office and whatever a production assistant had to do. But he always said, good morning, Emma. And to all the other PAs, he knew all of our names um just the sweetest human being alive 
Uh, and so, okay, since we're talking about it, I also was a PA on the Jeselnik Offensive with Anthony Jeselnik. <laughs> mm, oh, nice. <laughs> wow. I know. And same thing. What a courteous human being. Um, no. No, come yes. on. No, no Emma, I God. Listen, that makes sense. Emma, that makes sense you got to stop me. lying. You got to stop lying on <laughs> that our, makes our sense show to here. Me. Uh-uh. There's the, the guy who comes up with Shark Party definitely has... <laughs> Has some some sympathy in his in his bones. There's no doubt about it. You're telling me stand up comics are actual human beings. Oh, oh my god! That's what you meant. Yeah, yeah. I'm, and I, oh, I'm such a stand up comedy fan. But yeah, I have to say, um, Anthony Jeselnik and Jeff Ross were two of the kindest people I've ever worked for. Um, so respectful, so appreciative of, and you know, I, I think PAs um, sometimes are ignored, especially by the big talent um and they were uh just professionals and courteous and um so kind so i know funny given their uh comedy (laughs) yeah but (laughs) i've heard heard jeff in interviews though where he's just like i don't know why people want to listen to me you know he seems very down to earth about everything so that's that's good to hear very down to earth. And I think, you know, his biting humor when it comes to roasting, you have to be kind of down to earth because you also have mm-hmm. to be able to make fun of yourself. And I mm-hmm. think he does a really good job at balancing roast humor with self-deprecation to kind of let people know that to put people at ease and be like, yeah, we're all in on the joke. I'm on, I'm in on the joke. Like I'm part of the joke. So um, it's an art. It's an art in and of itself, the roast life. I tell you what proves to me that Jeffrey Ross is probably the kindest human being in the world is when uh, I think it was the situation from Jersey Shore oh, came yeah, up and tried yeah. to tried to do and it was just it was bombing left oh, and God. right <laughs> and he comes up and puts his arm around that guy and and is basically just helping him through the rest of it. That's that was that, I was like man that is. That is a that is a great moment for for you know I mean for Jeffrey Ross the situation yeah you gotta have a big heart to help out the situation really. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. keep him from embarrassing himself yeah All that's right. a beautiful thing yeah. <laughs> um, guys do you have any other questions well I was uh, you're when you kind of touched on this a little bit early on, we were talking about the actors, but you were very good at writing kids and writing the the dialogue that they were saying. It just, they felt like children, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I was just curious, is that something that like, I, I don't know, like how do you do that? I guess is what I'm asking basically. Yeah. Or like, <laughs> is there, is there something, you know, is there something to that, that um, I don't know. Yeah. Don't know that's a, yeah. No, it's a great question. I have an answer. Um, cool. So a few things. Um, Number one, I'm a huge Hayao Miyazaki and Makoto Shinkai fan. Um, mm. You know, feature film anime. I mean, anime mm-hmm. TV too, but mm-hmm. I think there's something especially beautiful about, um, I mean, Hayao Miyazaki is the grandmaster of, of cinema, yeah. in my opinion. And Makoto Shinkai, with your name, um, is one of the most exciting filmmakers to me working now. And, you know, anime tends to deal, uh, it tends to have a lot of stories with child protagonists. But what I love about anime is that the protagonists are dealing with huge things in their worlds, right? Whether it's uh, AI robots that are taking over mm-hmm. or being dropped into a spirit world where people want to eat you. You know, there are, mm-hmm. there are huge um, problems or, or scenarios that the kid protagonists are in. Um, and you see such courage and bravery from the kids. And uh, so at the time I wrote Waterman, again, I, I, I think I mentioned this, but I was an assistant slash nanny. And the, the boy I was primarily looking after is 10 years old, was 10 years old. And he was asking a lot of, you know, intense questions about life and death and the meaning of life that I was kind of struck by. It's like, wow, I'm dealing with this stuff. And here's this 10 year old boy trying to figure it out. Um, and thinking about, you know, um, the, the Hayao Miyazaki films that have child protagonists, but don't dumb them down, have them deal with real kind of high stakes, sometimes life or death situations, but mm-hmm. always from a child's perspective. That's what I really wanted to do with Waterman. And that's also something David O understood about the film right away of, 
okay, yeah, this film's going to talk about some intense stuff. It's going to bring up um, stuff that we're all grappling with as human beings, but we're going to do it in a way that is, yes, still an adventure and there's still a lot of levity and, and fun to it, but we don't want to talk down to our young audience. We want to be honest about what we think about life and death and, and the what you should do. And I think actually uh, there's a line in the script that Rosario Dawson says that I love. Um, and, and it's something David and I, you know, really wanted to make sure landed is when she says, we don't know what happens after we die, but what we do know is that we have this time now and we need to spend it loving each other every day. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think that's something, you know, we all, need a little reminder of now and then it's very easy to get distracted with things whether they're big or small um and especially when you're you know confronting the illness of someone you love i feel like we uh, instinctively have this urge to fix it and sometimes you can fix it and sometimes the way to fix it is actually just to let up on control and be with the person and spend time with them um yeah so uh Again, crediting Hayao Miyazaki, but also crediting um, the young, the, uh, the the young boy I was taking care of, and, and kind of realizing, oh yeah, he's young, but he's thinking about the world. Uh, and yeah. children, you know, there's the internet now. There's a lot of information that children mm-hmm. have access to, and I think it's more important now than ever to be honest about some of these fundamental human experience questions. I, I love that too, though, that you had him going to a bookstore and, uh, you know, talking with the, the, the bookseller and borrowing books from her as opposed to going on the internet. Right. I thought that was, yeah. Oh, yeah. I thought that was, <laughs> I thought that was fat. I love that because, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. Gunner is such a, you know, he doesn't even have a cell phone. He's yeah. a bit of a retro kind of hipster guy, even as a 10 year old kid. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yeah, I think there's something really um, kind of wonderful and, and tactile about seeking out books still. And, you know, it actually, I feel like the original script, there weren't even cell phones. I think, you know, um, Stand By Me is such a huge influence for this movie. And yep. sometimes, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes I feel like technology, like cell phones and the internet um, kind of gets in the way of the magic it of does. cinema. Totally. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, uh, we had a kind of backwards engineer making it present day because it was definitely written with like an 80s or 90s like et lunchbox totally. yeah, yeah, yeah so glad you noticed that oh my god the prop master was so proud when we finally got clearance to use that lunchbox so oh, thank did you, you call for up steven like, hey you took out my amazing stories episode so you're gonna <laughs> yeah, let exactly. me use this lunch you owe me <laughs> you owe um, me big time stevie yeah um (laughs) that's so funny and okay quick little uh tidbit so the librarian is actually david's wife which is really sweet oh really yeah i saw that that was her that was her only credit right i was i was wondering where uh where she had come from yeah she looked so familiar (laughs) yeah she did i I thought i'd seen her in a million things and then i saw that same thing jonathan did i was like We, we've oh, seen yeah. her at events with him, probably. Uh, yeah. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but uh, the, the, getting back to the characterization of Gunner, the, the other thing that I like about him, I, I think it's so easy to make precocious children that are perhaps way too worldly wise uh, for the movie itself. And in this case, you see a guy who has obviously got ridiculous amount of intelligence reads a bunch of books and everything like that but still has the naivete of a child um Mm -hmm. because he gets sucked in by this story joe tells Mm -hmm. um and 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 he believes i mean alfred molina's character obviously really really believes the story but Mm -hmm. um but you know he gets sucked in by what he's you know some some notes somebody's written into a book Mm-hmm. and and really feels like this is a thing that's one thing that i think you know i mean i it, the, it's i guess it's funny in comedies when you you know you run into like chloe grace moretz and she knows everything about relationships and everything she's trying to give <laughs> joseph, joseph gordon levitt dating advice and all that yeah but i mean every movie this happens it's very in every, in every movie in every movie but like um 
but you know, I think sometimes they forget, you know, I think sometimes we forget like when these kids are presented this way mm-hmm. that, that, you know, it, it, sometimes they get a little bit too much. They have too much knowledge mm-hmm. and everything. And I think you kind of dialed that back enough. I don't know. Maybe it could have been something that both you and, and David O uh, like figured out together and everything. But I, I really like that, that he's not, you know, he's not like just knows everything. I guess you wouldn't have a movie either if he was too well. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny from a practical point of view. But um, I really appreciate you saying that. Um, I think especially, you know, one has to wonder if, if Gunner wasn't going through what he was going through and so desperately looking for hope, mm-hmm. would he believe it? And I kind of feel like he might be intrigued. You know, he probably would realize Joe's full of shit. Yeah. Um, earlier, but he's at a point where he's looking for anything. And it's after, you know, trying to to go through sort of the quote unquote adult or scientific method mm-hmm. to help his mom and no one is listening. Yeah. And then um, you know, there are all these reasons to believe it's real. You know, there's an adult, Alfred Molina, who believes in it, who believes in it, you know, he's he's a mortician. He spends a lot of time with death and he misses his father and he's looking for hope. And he doesn't realize how his passion is uh, having an influence on this young, impressionable boy. And then Joe, who, you know, is using this story as a way to show how tough she is without really dealing with the fact that she needs help. So it's like all these people are using the Waterman for their own purpose and retooling the story of what really was just, you know, a a sad, tragic accident that's been blown up into an uh, you know, not an urban legend, we'll say an, a rural legend. Yeah. Um, but everyone's using the the legend for their own purposes, including Gunner, of course. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think I think there's something about again this this need we feel, especially for someone we love, especially our mothers, to want to fix it and make it better. Um, and that's what both Gunner and Amos are trying to do, father and son. They just want to fix it, but they're not really paying attention. To what other people need it's really their own fear uh, their own personal fear driving it you're gonna you're gonna be huge emma you're, you're just gonna be absolutely <laughs> enormous you're so thoughtful and positive and oh. warm and mm-hmm. you're, you're gonna have like the the craziest career ever and we're gonna be wow. go back to 2021 yeah and we're gonna you're be gonna like, be like hey, <laughs> we talked to Emma back in those days. Mm-hmm. You're gonna be cutting Steven Spielberg's stuff. You're just gonna be like, no, I'm sorry. You're gonna be cut. Yeah, yeah. Oh we would have room God. for that. Sorry, Steve. Where are you guys during my like writer block time? I'm gonna listen to this part of the interview a lot. <laughs> I'm telling you. Yeah, uh, you're just gonna skyrocket. Will you still be friends with us when you're when you're super famous? Oh my god, absolutely! I can't wait to see a cinema sins of one of my films. I can't wait. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah, let's oh. do it. So I'm just as a fan, as someone who loves uh, that channel, I expect you know oh. bare knuckle. Let's go, baby. <laughs> and it's so nice that everyone is exactly like you about that. It's uh, you know, yeah, it's definitely, true. definitely, That's true. You know, yeah. You have, it's obviously, it's a place of love. I mean, we all love movies. We all love, yeah, I know, now that I've, I've been on set, I definitely have more empathy. But um, at the same time, like, it's all coming from a place of love. And I love, I mean, that's one thing that's so wonderful about YouTube, whether it's CinemaSins. I also love Honest Trailers. And mm-hmm. I think the ecosystem of film lovers, thanks to YouTube and the internet, is so fun now. It's so fun. Mm-hmm. Even like TikTok, everything mm-hmm. going on with Winter Soldier. Um, there's just a <laughs> yeah. fun ecosystem where of connecting with with fellow cinephiles um, that I really love and makes me really happy to be working at this particular time. So anyway, hmm. my little right. box of right. love for, for everything. Hey, <laughs> bring it on. Anytime we need the love, we're just going to give you a call. So shoot over your phone number. We'll text back and forth and we'll, we'll give each other support. I love that. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I could, I could end this here, but I'm going to ask a, an, a, an almost irrelevant question, um, <laughs> at, you know, here, but let's, can we talk about cockroaches? Um, <laughs> yes, can we, we talk can. about that scene? Oh yes, um, can. I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm assuming that's a lot of special effects and they didn't wrangle a whole bunch of cockroaches, but. Oh, that would be <laughs> awesome. 
Oh my <laughs> that god, been, that's a uh, great question. You got the creep show guy to come in with his cockroaches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so uh, there were real cockroaches. So oh, yeah? not the scene where they're like falling down and bugs, you know, at night all over them. That was all. Yeah, and it's like Raiders effects. of the Lost Ark or Temple of Doom yeah. or something. Uh, like. Yeah, the Mummy, which that shit <laughs> fucked me up. Yes. Oh yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> oh my god, um, the, the scarabs. Um, but yeah, but in the Waterman hut, real cockroaches. There was a cockroach wrangler on set. Oh you my can find them. They're pretty easy to find. So he came with like these huge kind of, I forget, I think they're called African cockroaches or something. Okay. But yeah, these uh, massive cockroaches. And it's so funny. Lonnie was like way into it. He's like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> his, his, uh, his laughter at Joe is, uh, is priceless in that scene. And, uh, <laughs> I, and uh, I, I, I actually thought that was going to be like some sort of like, uh, get back situation, but it was a much more serious situation that comes up right yeah. after that scene. Anyway, oh, exactly. That's insane. I I would have I would have bet money that it was all special effects, all of it, and and uh you know that uh, they didn't have the uh they didn't have somebody bringing in cockroaches. Yeah, do we have a cockroach <laughs> wrangler, Chris? Do we have that on staff? Um no, we don't. We used to, we right? We, we used, used to, have to yeah. <laughs> had to, sad, sadly had to let them go. Yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, I don't see why. Uh what a great addition to the team. It's tough times. <laughs> tough times. Exactly. You, you never know decisions. when you'll need them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> All right. I uh, would like to thank we'd like to thank Emma Nidell for coming in and uh, giving us her time. And she's a fan of us. That makes it even better. Um, <laughs> but no, um, uh, the the movie is uh, The Waterman. It comes out in theaters May 7th. This is the first time, by the way, I think that in all these interviews that we've done. Uh, that I've been able to say in theaters and that's yeah. it. Like, like there's not any on demand or anything like that. Starting, to, starting to feel it's coming back. Yeah. We're getting there. Back. We're getting there's there. Hope. It's pretty awesome. Um, but uh, it comes, uh, the Waterman comes out in uh, theaters on May 7th. Uh, but uh, that's going to do it for this interview. It's Chris Atkinson, Jonathan Watkins and Barrett share. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening. Comment on our episodes on our SoundCloud page. Check us out on YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit. And be sure to visit cinemasins.com.